So we uh, are in this series. It's been a long time in this series, longest series I've ever been a part of in this uh, characters, great characters, great lives from God's word. And uh, it's just been fun kind of working our way through these. And uh, we are on the character of Paul. So uh, we started this, like I said, a couple months ago. The Apostle Paul, as most of us uh, are aware of, we, we uh, kind of introduced him a couple weeks ago. Then last week, if you were with us, you know that we had uh, Ray and Linda Noah with the Petros Network, which is really a modern example of the power of church planting and appointing pastors um, in, uh, in, in the countries of uh, Ethiopia and uh, uh, several areas around there. Um, so it was just really good. If you missed that message, you can check that out. But really, church planting, preparing pastors, uh, raising up leaders, that was Paul's mission, to establish the church. And in the book of Romans, he kind of gives his, his life verse, if you will, kind of the thing that drove him. He said this in Romans 15, 20, my ambition was always, has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard rather than where the church has already been started by someone else. So his job was to be on the cutting edge, literally, the cutting edge of the new church and the New Testament church. And the amazing part about this is from where God brings him. If you missed that introductory message from two weeks ago, we, we learned about his name is Saul, and, and he, uh, he's causing the church all kinds of problem and trouble and heartache. And God takes him and completely turns his life inside out and takes him from one of the greatest opponents of the church to the greatest missionary church planter, pastors of the church. So only God can do that. Maybe you got a story that your life got turned around at one point or another. And uh, this is what Paul's life is all about. Paul plants churches. He appoints leaders. He establishes doctrine. He battles false teachers and prophets. He writes 40 8% of the books of the New Testament. Uh, he he kind of did some stuff in his lifetime, right? And he takes the message of the gospel literally to the center of the power structure of the world. At that time, the city of Rome. The whole world revolved around Rome, and that's where he took the gospel. And, you know, I don't know if you ever wonder, how does people like this get so much done? You see somebody that just like, he did this, he did this, he did this, and everywhere his footprint, you can, if some of your Bibles have a map in the back of it, sometimes it'll have a, uh, the travels of Paul, and you see how he got literally all over the place. How did he get so much done? What you might not realize is that Paul was put on the back burner for a while, right after God changed his life, for a period of time. There was a period of time where Paul was isolated and kind of exiled from the new church for several years. He had to wait. Paul knew what it was to wait. Can I just tell you, you know what I hate to do? Anybody can guess? <laughs> wait. <laughs> Congratulations, you're, you're awake today, right? I don't know if anybody's with me. There's this, this bone or excuse me, there's this gene in my bones. There's this, there's this DNA that it's made up for some reason, and there's something in my gut that just screams, go! I don't know if anybody else is like like. You know, I cannot stand, the, the phrase I cannot stand to hear for some reason is, hey, let's just wait on that. I can't, I don't like it. Hey, let's just wait. We don't need to do that right now. Let's just wait. I, I want to go. Now, I have an issue with drive-through lanes too. 
drive food. <clears throat> For some reason, when it says fast food, I expect it to be fast food and to get through. And for the lady that I was behind this last week that uh, had three toddlers in the car and kept turning around and consulting them about what to order, you know, she's right in front of me, you know, and, and she keeps turning around going, oh, do you want that? And then talking to the lady, it's like, oh, no, wait, change that, you know. You know, an hour and a half later of my life, uh, I come through. Or how about the guy that likes to leave a big space between him and the car in front of him? You know, thank you very much. Hey, it's fast food, let's go. Okay, now you know my issues. But there's different kinds of dads. We've been talking about that today. There's different kinds of people. You got your passive dad. You got your active dad, you know? Dads are, sometimes you, you got the dads that's the first one up. You know, let's go, keeper of the clock, can't be late kind of dad. The one that jumps into the project, knocks it out. The dad with the motto, get her done, right? That, that kind of dad. But not, not all dads are that way. If you're not that kind of dad, if you're watching online, you're not that, don't, don't feel bad. There's just different people. But just don't make me wait, okay? Just don't make me wait. I think you've got that. Father's Day is also kind of, comes in the season of graduation season, right? You know, Father's Day comes around about every year, this time, 1st of June. It's also graduation season. We've had high school graduates this year. Some of you are even going to a high school graduation today or a college graduation today. Do you remember when you graduated? Those of you that have graduated, you're walking. I mean, the older I get, the, the dumber I was. I think, you know, and you look back, and I remember you know, having my, my robe on and thinking I was just so smart. You know, And I had, man, I, just, I had it all. We think we're gonna go out and change the world. We think we're gonna go out and hit it like a, Elon Musk rocket and just like, man, we are going to be. And there's a book that Dr. Seuss wrote. Some of us, you know, we're going to talk about deep theology and some of us just want to get it. So we're going to talk to some of the love there. Dr. Seuss wrote, Seuss wrote this graduation. It's his graduation message called, Oh, the Places You'll Go. And some of you might have seen this book before. I've given it away to graduates at times. <clears throat> and the, it's just entitled, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Let me, let me just read a couple lines to you. It starts like this, congratulations, today is your day. You're off to great places, you're off and away. You have brains in your head and feet in your shoes and you can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're off on your own, you know what you know and you are the guy or gal who decide where to go. The second part starts like this, oh the places you'll go, you'll be on your way up, you'll be seeing great sights, you'll join the high flyers, who soar to high heights. You won't lag behind <clears throat> because you have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang. You'll soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you're the best of the best. Wherever you go, you will top all the rest. Except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say, but sadly it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. You'll get hung up in a prickly perch, you'll, your gang will fly on and you'll be left in a lurch. You'll come down from that lurch with an unpleasant bump and the chances are you'll be in a slump. And when you're in a slump, it's not much, you're not in for much fun. Unslumping yourself is not easily done. You'll come to a place where the streets are not marked. Some windows are lighted, but mostly they're darked a place where you could sprain both your elbow and chin, 
Do you dare stay out? Do you dare go in? How much can you lose? How much can you win? And if you go win, should you turn right or left or right and three quarters or maybe not quite or go around and sneak in from behind? Simple it's not. I'm afraid you'll find for a mind maker upper to make up his mind. You'll get so confused that you'll start into a race down a long wiggle road at a break-necking pace and grind on for miles across weirdest space, headed, I fear, for the most useless place, the waiting place. For people just waiting, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or a no, or waiting for their hair to grow. <laughs> Everyone just waiting, waiting for the fish to bite, waiting for the wind to fly a kite, waiting around for a Friday night, waiting perhaps for Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance, everyone just waiting. And then it goes on just a little bit more. No, but that's not for you. Somehow you'll escape all that waiting and staying, and you'll find bright places where boom bands are playing, and on it goes. But it's the waiting place. I want to talk to you about the waiting place. <clears throat> Truer than not, it's the waiting places that are the hard places. This convert Saul comes out of the gates swinging. I mean, he is, he's finding himself at this place of success within the Pharisee world where he's fighting what he believes is corruption and, and uh, really demonic doctrine in the new church. He's trying to stamp this thing out and we see him in the book of Acts. It's, it's almost like Luke is having to run to keep up with them once we, Paul, Saul comes on the scene. But there's a season where Saul is absent. And we don't think about that much. God has him, as most people experience from time to time, in this holding pattern. Or Paul found himself in the waiting place. Looking back at some of the great lives from God's word that we've already been through in the last several months, they all seem to have this one thing in common, that great leaders many, many times have this waiting period in their lives. Moses, we started with Moses. How many know that he waited for 40 years? He was ready to go. He thought he was, he thought he was ready to, and God just said, you know what, I'm going to put you on hold. 40 years. David had a waiting period in his life. His waiting periods were 13 years from the time that he knew he was going to be king to when he actually was. Joseph, we've talked about that in a few weeks ago, that from the time he had the vision of where he wanted to go, it was over 13 years before he saw come to waiting. Jesus, you can talk about his life. We don't hear anything from him. He was born. We see him at 12, and then 30 years later, he finally comes on the scene. And even in the book of Esther, we see that Esther, many parts of her story is just this waiting period for Esther. Oh, the places you'll go, <laughs> but not always on our timeline. I heard this, waiting 
is a common instruction of providential discipline for those whom exceptional work has been appointed. Let me say that again because it's pretty smart. James, uh, James Stalker said this, waiting is a common instruction of providential discipline for those for who, to whom exceptional work has been appointed. In other words, God prepares people most often through a period of waiting designated to hone skills, maybe to break wills, to shape character, to add depth to your life. While many times God works, we wait. He's working, we're waiting. Through the scripture we see this. In the Psalm, Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong and don't lose hope. Wait for the Lord. And then Psalm 37, seven says, be still and wait patiently for the Lord to act. We all know this one, Isaiah 31, but those who wait on the Lord, what will renew their strength? They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Hosea 12, 6 says this, wait for your God continually. I don't know about you, but I just kind of break into a sweat when I read all this waiting, right? (laughs) Here's what you'll never hear. You'll never hear God say, come on, hurry up. I say hurry up. I'm in a hurry, but God never is. He doesn't and he won't ever hurry you, rush you, and even for someone as gifted, as strong as Saul is, there needs to be a waiting period. We see Saul in Damascus, you might remember, he's dramatically saved, a light from heaven, literally the light of Jesus, knocks him to the ground, blinds him, and for three days he is blind, and he doesn't know what to do, and we see another believer come and pray for him. He is dramatically healed where he can see again. He's baptized. And the next thing we see, he's out preaching. <laughs> Literally, he's, he, first thing he does, he starts preaching Jesus until the Jews try to kill him. <laughs> and then the believers get together and put him in a basket and lower him out the window to escape. And he runs to Jerusalem. And when Saul gets to Jerusalem, check this out, no one will talk to him. The apostles will not meet with him. Why is that? He's a killer. <laughs> Hello? I mean, last time we heard, you're the one marching us off to jail. They wouldn't talk. Until a man by the name, a believer by the name of Barnabas. His name literally means son of encouragement. He's an encourager. Well, he meets Saul, and he gets to know his story. And Barnabas sets an appointment and takes him in and introduces him to the believers there. And he spends some time in Jerusalem. And the first thing he's doing is out teaching and arguing and trying to make the case for Jesus in Jerusalem until they try to kill him. See a pattern here? <laughs> and so they rush him off and they send him off for his own safety, but they send him to his hometown of Tarsus. And there he waits. He's in his prime. You remember Saul is 30-something. That's the time that a rabbi is in its prime and and when he comes out. and So he's ready to preach the word. But God says, hey, Saul, let's, let's wait. 
What you might not realize is Paul spends this season, Bible scholars tell us that he was there for five or six years, just in his hometown, just waiting, just waiting. We knew he was a tent maker. He's just making tents. Maybe he thought to himself, man, one day I had a dream that God was really gonna use me. Man, you know, I really thought God spoke a word to me. And in Acts 9, obviously we read in Acts chapter 9 where he gets converted and he gets run out of Damascus and run out of Jerusalem. And then in Acts 10, it kind of shifts away and we don't hear anything about Paul. We hear about Peter again. You remember Peter having the, the vision of of a man coming to him and saying, hey, come to us, and he goes to Cornelius' house, and it's the first time that the Gentiles receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they can't believe it, and it changes the game. We read about this, but in between that Acts 9 and Acts 11, we've got about five or six years, and it's silence for Saul, but the church is really starting to ramp up. Big things are happening in the church. Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 19, it says this. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And they were spreading the word among the Jews. Now persecution hits, it scatters them, and as they go, they start talking about Jesus. People start getting saved. But some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was on them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Revival is starting to happen among the Greeks. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw that the grace of God had done, and he was glad and encouraged. He, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the word of the Lord with all their heart. Speaking of Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So this is where we're at. After this waiting period, Barnabas says, I need some help here, and I know just the guy. And he goes and he finds him in Tarsus, right where he had left him. So we see this set up. When God is in the waiting, I believe some things happen. Let's just talk about four things that happen when God is in the waiting, and we see it here in Saul's life. Number, the first thing that happens is patience. <laughs> when God prepares us for effective ministry, he includes what we would rather skip, a waiting period, and, but it cultivates patience. I don't know if you ever heard the, heard the prayer, God, give me patience right now. Ever heard that prayer? I've also heard people, please don't pray for patience, because if you pray for patience, God's going to give you a trial. Anybody? It's like patience is a bad thing. <laughs> but did you know that it's actually one of the fruits of the Spirit? Yeah. Galatians 5.22 says, but the Spirit produces the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. 
It's also wedding season right now, and a lot of weddings were quoting 1 Corinthians 13 with the description of love. What's the first thing it says about love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Patience is a great thing. But waiting will cultivate patience if you allow it to do its work. Second thing it does is it cultivates humility. As God makes us wait, hiding us maybe similar in his shadow, he shows us that we're not indispensable, and that makes us humble. Paul, or excuse me, Saul becomes also known as Paul. Some people believe that when he was saved, that God changed his name from Saul to Paul. But that's not really true. You see, Saul was his Hebrew name. It was a regal name. Paul was his Roman name. But little translation is that Paul means small one. So he goes from regal to being called small one. It fits the narrative, the pattern in his life. You see, in Acts 13.9, it says, Saul, who was also known as Paul. That's where it changes. And then from that point on, he's never referred to as Saul again. It's always Paul. But it fits the narrative of his life because Paul comes to Christ and he spends this time and his whole focus changes from I want to be the best Pharisee to, Jesus, you get bigger, I'm going to get smaller. He's humbled. He allows humility to do its work. And while Saul, or Paul, is waiting in Tarsus, God is revealing himself to him, and he learns. And he learns it's not about me. It's about God's plan. It's about God's way. And he has to unlearn a lot of things. And have you, have you ever been running through life, like I said, maybe when we first graduated, maybe when we first got out there, and you think you've got it all figured out only to have to unlearn some stuff that you thought you knew so well? It's interesting. One of the characteristics or one of the characters who seem to have to wait the longest that we've talked about, Moses. Forty years he waits in the desert chasing sheep. That must have felt like 100 years. You know, there's some years that seem longer than others. And, uh, you know, if you get in the backside of the desert and have to be a shepherd for 40 years, it's going to seem like 80. Moses had to wait. But, you know, one of the descriptives of Moses, the Bible tells us that he was the most humble man who ever lived. Maybe that came from his waiting period. Waiting not only produces patience, but it produces humility. And I'd like to tell you there's a shortcut. (laughs) Here's a shortcut to patience and humility. There isn't one. (laughs) You may not be interested in timeouts or waiting periods, but let me just ask you, wouldn't you love a friend in your life right now who is patient and humble? Wouldn't you appreciate that? Of course you would. Let me just tell you, so would your friends. Hello? Okay. Number three, it produces depth. While God hides us away or makes us wait, he reveals us new dimensions of himself, new insights, maybe even regarding your ministry, and it makes us deep. 
Can I tell you what I need the most in my life right now? I de- I'll tell you what I don't need. I, didn't, I don't need more smart people. I don't need more busy people. What I really need in my life are people with depth. There's so many documentaries right now about fallen leaders. Some of you have been watching. I, I'm fascinated by document, fascinated by life and documentaries. And, but there's nothing sadder to see some of these great leaders, even spiritual leaders, that have an incredible downfall. They don't finish well. And it seems like they're so successful on the outside. I mean, there's even the popularity, the celebrity, the fame, the ego. But let me tell you what, those aren't deep things. <laughs> popular things, they're pretty, shiny things, but they're not deep things. You know what you won't get through a difficult season? Shallow stuff. You get deep stuff. John Eldridge just wrote a book, if you can get it, get your hands on it, it's called Resilience. Resilience, it's a powerful message. And he talks about the three levels we have in our life, and he talks that we live most of our life in what he calls the shallows. That's where most of life takes place, the superficial stuff, the shallows, making lunch, making dinner, putting your to-do list together. It's all the shallows. Then he talks about the middle area, the middle earth, if you will, the middle ground. That's where a little more important stuff happens, the more weighty stuff of life. But he says very few of us really go down into the deep part of our life, the depth. Sometimes grief will take you to that deep Part of your life. Sometimes loss will take you to that deep part of your life. But I'm telling you, there are times when you're waiting and it seems like too long and you're at this depth and that's where God meets you in a whole other way. One of the scriptures says, as deep calls out to deep, but you don't get there fast. One of the things that waiting will do, it will deepen you It's soul. Saul needed some time with God to get his soul right, to spend time in the deep with God. We need space and time for this. You'll see later as Saul begins to write these these letters, these epistles, as he begins to write about this doctrine, there's such depth to it. He didn't get it there on the run. He got it in this period of waiting and allowing the Holy Spirit. And he said at one point, he spoke of himself, there was a time when I was caught up in the third heaven. He was in this depth of learning from God and he shared it. And he said, I learned things that I can't even share what I learned. And that takes time. And the last thing that waiting will do for us, it'll make us effective. Sounds counterproductive, doesn't it? It'll make us effective. When God finally chooses to use us, usually it comes at a time we least expect it. When we feel least qualified, that makes us effective. Isn't that interesting? Moses had forgot all about the dream. 40 years later, all he thought about was sheep. And then God says, now, let's go. It's like, me, now? Joseph, he's waiting 13 years from the pit to, the, to, the, pow, to the, the Potiphar's house, to the prison. He's just, his three Ps of life, down, down, down. And then all of a sudden, God says, it's time, let's go. I think one of the things that you can say about Paul's ministry is that it was effective. You talk about effective. 
He left, and along the way, everywhere he traveled in his ministry, there were leaders and churches and doctrine in his wake. And there were, we are like 2,000 years later, and we're still reading and gleaning from Paul's life and his legacy. I could say, I, it was effective. But let me tell you something. Paul sat at home in Tarsus for five to six years just waiting, and he worked on his tent business. And Maybe he just wondered a few days while he's stitching up those tents, if I'm really cut out for this, perhaps God can't use me at all. And then there was a knock at the door. Hey, remember me? Old Barney? Barnabas. Get it? Hey, Brother Saul, man, we need somebody just like you. Can you help us? There's this revival going on. You won't believe what's going on in Antioch. Have you heard about it? He's like, no, I've been making tents. Well, come on. And Paul steps out into this, and he's a patient man. He's a humble man. He's a man with depth, and he's ready to be effective. I know there's people in the room, and you might be tired of waiting. You're waiting for a train to go. You're waiting for a bus to come. You're waiting for a plane to go or the mail to come. You're waiting for the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow or waiting around for a yes or no or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone just waiting. I'm tired of waiting for a fish to bite or waiting for the wind to fly a kite or I'm waiting around for Friday night or I'm waiting around perhaps for my Uncle Jake, which I don't have, or a pot to boil or a better break or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig of curls, or another chance. Everyone just waiting. I'm tired of waiting, but yet I see the product of what comes out in those waiting periods. And I'm not speaking of something I feel like, can I just be so trans, I don't say it, can I be honest? Because <laughs> that kind of <laughs> sounds kind of funny. Can I be honest with you when I... I think I've been honest, but what I'm saying is I'm being a little more transparent. I'm in a waiting, I feel like I'm in a waiting period right now. And it's, it's getting at me. I'm waiting. But here's the deal. I know God is able. I've never questioned that. God is able. It's just hard to be on hold. But when I get into my mind that I'm wasting time, God reminds me of the people, the great characters who we have seen and have grown through much longer periods of waiting than maybe I have, much harder, much more difficult things. But when they came out the other side, and believe me, we all want to come out the other side, and I will tell you, we will come out the other side, but there's this depth, there's the fruit of the patience and the humility and there's going to be days ahead after these periods that are going to be more effective than we could have any other way, fruitful, and we're going to look back and go, oh, oh, that's what God was doing. If you want to see God do great things in your life, in your family, in your future, let me just ask you this. Are you willing to wait for it? Are you willing to wait for it? Would you pray with me today? Jesus, I thank you for your word today. God, thank you for the lessons that you teach us that when we're in the middle of them, we wouldn't choose them. <laughs> but 
in hindsight, we see where you were. We see your fingerprints. And God, I know that's the same is true with waiting periods and waiting times. God, I thank you for the times that you've grown us and used us in those times. And God, I know that we'll have more ahead of us. And some in the room might be just like me right now, feeling like they're kind of in a, in a waiting period in some aspects of their life. And and it can be frustrating, it can be tiring, we can be very impatient, but God, you are able, and your timeline is always the right timeline, and God, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would help us just in this moment maybe to step away and say, God, if you wanna work patience throughout my life and humility throughout my life and, and add some depth to my life, and if you, God, you wanna make me more effective than God, just help us to be more willing to wait for those things that come in your timing. God, I pray for a spirit of encouragement right now. Just, would you just bring encouragement over those listening, both online and in this room today, that might be feeling that way. And just sense that you're in this. You haven't forgot them. And just like Saul year two, year three, year four, and year five, maybe even to year six, he might have felt very ineffective. He might have been feeling very left out. But God, when the story was written, you were just getting started. And God, I believe that for so many in this room today. And Lord, if I look back over my life, I believe that in my own life. I know you're able and you will. God, help us to see you in the waiting. Thank you for incredible examples like Saul that later became Paul, like Moses and David, Esther. And we're gonna see in other characters the things you did through people that were willing to wait. In Jesus' name. And you know, I just sense today that uh, maybe I wanna go a step further in allowing you to respond to this today. And, and uh, it's not gonna take a long time, but just if you are relating to me, I'm already standing up, so I'm the first one up. I'm just gonna say, maybe you feel like you're, just as we're in an attitude of prayer, you feel like you're in a waiting period right now and you just want to let God know you're hearing him today. I would just invite you to stand to your feet. Just say, would you pray with me? I'm waiting, I'm waiting. It doesn't have to matter what it is, but you just, you're waiting and you would stand today. Yeah, God sees. God, I pray in Jesus' name for those that are standing. Maybe there are even some online that they're, like, <laughs> they're, they're standing up right where they're at right now as they're listening to this, but in their heart, they're standing up saying, yeah, me too. God, I pray for these in the room that have stood to their feet. We're waiting, God, we're waiting. And God, I just speak over these people right now that if they wait on you, that you are the one that will renew their strength. That these are the ones that are gonna mount up with wings as eagles. These are the ones that are gonna run and not grow weary. These are the ones that are gonna walk and not faint. But God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would just give them the ability to wait. Encourage them in the waiting. God, I pray you'd be with every man and woman today that is experiencing this period, God, the spirit of encouragement. We just wrap yourselves around them. And God, I pray you would help them to see that this is not always going to be so, but 
on the other side because they will come through. As we look back, we're going to see what you accomplished. And in Jesus' name, as we stand today, we say, God, I'm waiting. Would you please see me? He sees you. He sees you. God, do the work in our lives and help us come through. Help us to see the other side of this period in our life. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Will the rest of you just stand today to your feet? Thank you so much. Again, we've said happy Father's Day a lot. And we do have a gift for you, uh, for the dads in the room and those online. You wish you were here. But in the lobby, there's a bottle of dad's root beer and an official, you've never seen this before, it's a Family Life Church bottle opener. It's great. It's awesome. Next year, we're going to do Family Life Church ashtrays. But this year... That, was, that idea will never pass. No, but bottle opener for your root beer. Okay, hey, for your root beer, right? So here's the assignments. Dads, here's the assignments. I want you to take that bottle of root beer. I want you to take it home, put it in the fridge. Better yet, find a bucket of ice. Dads, do this prescription. Do this. Bucket of ice, you let it just chill for a while. Then, a little bit later, I want you to go find some vanilla ice cream. Okay, Dad? Okay. Mom, or moms and, and children, I want you to help facilitate this a little bit. And, and we're going to get, you know, a, a mug would be awesome. If you don't have it, just plastic or whatever. Put a couple scoops of that vanilla ice cream. Take that official Family Life Church bottle, bottle opener. Pop that root beer. And I want you to just let that foamy goodness just go all over that ice cream. And I want you to get in your favorite chair. And I want you to get a long spoon and maybe a straw if you're that kind of guy. And here's the deal. I want you to take the rest of the day off. Amen. Amen? All right. Thank you, dads. We love you. Hey, if you don't follow my prescription, you're on your own. There is a, there's a prayer wall over here. And that's not a bad transition. You know you can have fun at church? You can have fun at church. There's a prayer wall on the left-hand side of the room. If we can pray for you in any way possible, that's one of the great things we can do for you. If you're online, you can let the host know, hey, pray for me. We'd love to pray with you. Don't leave today without us praying for you. But until I see you again, I pray that God would bless you and keep you. I pray that he would turn his face towards you and shine his countenance on your life, even in the waiting places and spaces, because you're going to come through. God bless you as you go live the life. Hey guys, this is Pastor Dave. I just want to say thank you for joining us today for this podcast. You know, at Family Life Church, our vision is to create a safe, authentic environment where people connect with Jesus. And we don't believe it's an accident that you joined us today. You know, if this message meant something to you, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on our website at myflc.org, or you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and you can listen regularly. And I just want to say thank you and God bless your week.